This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. It's Wednesday, which means it's time for Chip Chat with Chip Gibbons. Hey, Chip. Hello, Sam and Sam. Hello. Hello. Chip is a uh, journalist. He's also the policy director over at Defending Rights and Dissent, an excellent organization, though when he's on our show, he speaks only on his own behalf. He's also the host of the podcast Still Spying. We'll get into that a little bit later. So the topic uh, this week, um, not exactly a, uh, a happy topic, another downer, the Trump Justice Department is moving ahead with some more federal executions, two scheduled for this week, which would bring the number of people that the government has executed this year to 10. That's the highest number of federal executions in a single year since the fucking 1800s, since 1896. Uh, This is not getting... Uh, all that much attention because the administration is also engaged in an attempt to stay in power despite the election results and uh, start a war with Iran and all sorts of stuff. But uh, this is really disturbing things that are happening at the Justice Department in this final two months or so of the Trump administration. Chip, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's really, really disturbing. I believe we spoke about the federal executions once before when they when they resumed and it's just it's such a an, an unusual thing i mean federal executions are historically very very rare uh before trump took power the last federal execution had been 17 years ago in in 2003 uh when we document uh executions people usually put them in, in two categories post uh, the return of the death penalty in in the late seventies and pre pre that that return of the death penalty, um, because in the seventies the Supreme Court strikes down the death penalty as being unconstitutional. Uh, there's actually for for once not majority support for the death penalty, and, and it seems like it's it's on its way out. There's this huge right wing backlash though to courts striking down the death penalty, and like popular opinion for the death penalty soars. Uh, they, they bring it back, but put in place all of these constitutional requirements per, to make it more difficult to execute people perversely. Uh, there's actually a huge uptick in, in executions in the decades after this. If you look at sort of the number of executions per year in like the states in like the decade before they, they get rid of the death penalty, it's it's like very low compared to what happens afterwards the states just go on this orgy of of killing as the death penalty becomes this sort of right-wing faux populist issue um and so in the post greg era though only three people have ever been executed by the federal government all i believe under george w bush and now trump has come into office and you know, he has ki- killed a, a record number of people. I believe if the two executions go through this uh, week, it will be 10 people. I believe there are three more scheduled in in January, uh, one of which is five days before Joe Biden takes office. 
Though I would note that Joe Biden is partially to blame here because he was involved in the crime bill that dramatically expanded the federal death penalty in the 90s. Uh, after the Supreme Court throws the death penalty out in the 70s, all of the federal death sentences uh, that carried the death penalty, those, those, that, that's, that's removed. And then in the 90s, there's a bill to go back and, and restore the death penalty with sort of the new uh, Supreme Court standards. So Joe Biden, ironically, has a bit of a role here since he boasts that he was involved in the crime bill that um, that made this possible. So, I mean, and that's also another reason why there are sort of an unprecedented level of federal executions right now is because, um, I mean, between 72 and the late 80s, there's no federal death penalty at all. And then when they, they bring it back initially it's only for i think very narrow uh drug related crimes and then in the 90s under clinton biden and folks go ballistic um and they they bring it back and there's a quote from from biden i can't find it where he says something like in the year of 1994 liberalism is uh 60 new death penalty offenses so the 94 crime bill created 64 or 60 new new death penalty offenses. Many of them are things like espionage or, or, or treason that previously had the death penalty, but when the Supreme Court struck it down, they were gone. But if you look at the people who are being executed, I mean, as always, it's it's quite um, quite tragic. I mean, the person who's being executed, scheduled to be murdered by the state tomorrow, uh, his name is Brandon Bernard, and he was 18 years old when he was sentenced to death, and he was in a, in a gang of, of five people who who kidnapped uh, three people and robbed and, and killed them. And it's a, it's a horrible crime. I'm not I'm not downplaying that, but you know he was 18. He didn't plot the crime, and he didn't even pull the trigger. He's an he's an accomplice. Um, and the person who who did pull the trigger did kill them. Actually, has already been um, murdered by the state. And the other the other people involved were all minors and therefore were not uh, eligible for the death penalty. And I believe uh, Kim Kardashian has been speaking out on his behalf, trying to get clemency from Donald Trump, because, I mean, this person has led a very exemplary life while while in jail. It's pretty clear they're not the person they were at 18. And, you know, like I said, um, on top on top of that, five of the nine jurors who sentenced yeah. uh, who sentenced Bernard to die uh, say that he no longer should be executed, and the prosecutor who defended the death sentence on appeal has since uh, said that she does not think that she said, "quote Executing Brandon would be a terrible stain on the nation's honor." Yeah, and Alan Dershowitz has been talking to uh, oh, that's, Kim Kardashian. That's not helping our case. <laughs> no, but I mean, Dersh has a direct line to Trump. Yeah. And Dersh, which for all of his evil things as a law clerk, wrote the brief that eventually became the Supreme, or wrote a memo that eventually became the Supreme Court decision that overturned the death penalty. I mean, 
the death penalty is one area where I will give Alan Dershowitz uh, has played a positive role in the world. <laughs> and then the day after the uh, Brandon Bernard execution is scheduled, there's another execution scheduled of a man who uh, his lawyers are arguing right now that he is intellectually disabled. Uh, he was he was found guilty of murdering his own daughter. Again, obviously, a terrible crime. Um, but yeah, like I said, he he might not have fully been aware of what he was doing because of his mental state, his mental capacity. Uh, yeah, and, DOJ wants to uh, kill him too. And speaking of of you know mental capacities, I mean, in January, one of the people scheduled for execution is Lisa Montgomery, who will be, I believe, only the fourth woman ever executed by the federal government, and be a grim milestone in her own uh, case. And a group of uh, independent U.S. Uh, U.N. U.N. Sorry, not U.S. U.N. Uh, experts, including the Special Rapporteur on Torture, the Special Rapporteur on Arbitrary Executions, the Special Rapporteur, I believe, on, on gender violence, have all come out and and called for her sentence to be commuted because she was subjected to repeated physical abuse and and rape as a child, mm. and she clearly had mental illness that her attorneys did not adequately present to the jury. I mean, she committed a really um, graphic and and heinous crime, but she's clearly a very a disturbed individual. Um, so, I mean, and this is who ends up on 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 death row, right? It's mm-hmm. trying to and the, and the, the man the, scheduled to die on December 11th is named Alfred Bourgeois. Yeah, trying to figure out what the goal here is because you look at the Trump administration's final moves. And when it comes to Iran, you can look at that and say, oh, well, this is an attempt to sabotage the incoming Biden administration to prevent uh, a new nuclear deal from being implemented. If you can raise the tension with Iran high enough before you leave office, you can sabotage all that stuff. You're looking at the Trump administration's actions when it comes to the election and casting doubt. Well, the goal there is to stay in power as long as possible or at least set up a 2024 run by claiming you were cheated out of it in 2020. What is the, what is the what is the real politic goal here of resuming executions, especially rushing all these at the end? The only thing I can come up with is just bloodlust that the that that bar the justice department and whether Trump cares or not, he's just letting it happen. They just want to they want to execute some people and this is their chance to do it. I mean, Trump cares, right? He took out a full-page ad in the New York papers after the um, horrible sexual assault in Central Park for which five innocent people were convicted with the headline, give us back our death penalty, give us back our police, which is language that goes very much uh, in line with this sort of right-wing populist uh, law and order agenda that takes off in the late 60s, really consolidates in the 80s under Reagan. And then by the 90s, you have people like Bill Clinton and Joe Biden champion it. I mean, it seems a little bit anachronistic now, but, you know, opposing the death penalty in the 90s when like 90% of the population, you know, shared this type of bloodlust was like 
political suicide and it was an issue on which you could get elected. It was an issue on which people championed and drummed up. And Trump's whole playbook is from this sort of, you know, anachronistic right wing demagogue, right? All the talk about law and order, even before the George Floyd protest, he was talking about carnage and chaos in cities, even though crime was at record lows. And when this type of, of rhetoric, you know, was more potent, there was uh, an increase in crime. So I, I really think that the death penalty plays a tremendous role in the politics of the U.S. populist right. And I, I think it's not just the U.S. I think in other countries where you have sort of, populist is a bad word, but because there's these right, almost populist parties, you know, restoring the death penalties is usually part of their agenda. I believe Marine Le Pen and the National Front in France uh, has, you know, bringing back the death penalty for crimes involving kidnapping. Uh, as part of their platform. I don't think there's a huge problem in France right now with kidnapping. I, I think it's just part of this. I mean, there's this real gross, right, like populist appeal for, or pseudo-populist appeal, I should say, for the death penalty. And you would see things like people attending public executions. You've seen historically mob justice. You see these sorts of opinions where it's like, oh, everyday people have to live with terrible crime and liberal judges who live behind gated communities, you know, you know, they're safe from it. We need the death penalty to keep us safe. I don't quite know how this sort of faux populist, pseudo populist right has come to turn the death penalty into this, this sort of, you know, aggrieved population needs, needs the state to kill people on its behalf. But but there, there there was an interesting book a few years ago, a decade ago. I don't know. I don't have any sense of time. Called I believe "Governing Through Crime," which sort of makes the argument that you know the state is able to develop a constituency of people who sort of use this rhetoric that crime is sort of a zero sum game. So if you have rights for defendants. That's rights taken away from non-criminals, and that's obviously very coded. So you, you, you do have, in reaction to the Warren Court and the due process revolution and all of those things, this type of rhetoric, like normal people are losing their rights, average people, common people, and common people, of course, doesn't mean what common people means when like Ralph Nader or you or I would say something like that. It's like white suburbanite and small business owners but sort of the small forgotten man who has always been at the base of sort of fascist movements, small forgotten man in quotation marks, please, please note that listeners. Um, and, and that's a huge part of this. And, and the final equation of this is that we are in a pandemic and we are bringing back the death penalty in a pandemic. And the result of this is that these executions are spreading COVID. Uh, it came out on earlier this week that a number, at least 20% of the uh, Bureau of Prison execution team that took place in the Orlando Hall execution contracted COVID, as did Orlando Hall's um, spiritual advisor, right? These are super spreader yeah. events. Yeah, that's the other thing about it, is of all the times to resume this stuff, you're doing it during a pandemic that's putting even more people at risk, preventing a lot of these individuals on death row from having regular access to their attorneys. 
Yeah, it's just Trump wants to be the president who does executions, right? He, I mean, he was really excited about Singapore having the death penalty for drugs. Uh, thanks to, to Clinton, there is a death penalty for, like, really high-level drug trafficking in this country. It's not even listed, I believe, on the Justice Department website. And Sessions wrote that memo about that. I mean, just bringing back the death penalty has been a huge part of Trump's persona. It's part of the persona of ghoulish people like Sessions and and Barr. And they're not going to let a pandemic get in their way. And in spite of all of their law and order rhetoric, and they care about police and prison guards and this and that, I mean, they're actually putting the prison staff at risk to to have basically murder as a stunt, murder as a political stunt. And it just, it sort of shows the hollowness and hypocrisy of this sort of brand of right-wing law and order politics. Ultimately, right-wing thought, conservative thought has... Uh... What I think this shows is that conservative thought hasn't really changed since the uh, since the 17th century, when Thomas Hobbes said that the state of nature is nothing else but a mere war of all against all. Yeah, I mean, there's some some consistencies in 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 the right over the years. Uh, you know, they love they love private property. They don't care that much for human life. Chip Gibbons. Journalist, policy director over at Defending Rights and Dissent, and host of the Still Spying podcast. What's the latest over there? Yeah, we just uh, released our latest episode. It's on the Young Lords. If you don't know who the Young Lords are, they were considered the Puerto Rican uh, counterpart to the Black Panther Party. They weren't exclusively Puerto Rican, but they were a majority Puerto Rican uh, working class and poor organization uh, they advocated for sort of local issues in their community, but they were self-consciously uh, modeled after the Black Panthers and would connect local issues, sort of international issues. They also drew inspiration from national liberation movements happening around the world. And it's a very interesting episode. I would recommend it. Thank you, Chip. Let's do this again uh, next week, and then maybe we'll take a week off for uh, Christmas or something. It's a religious holiday, Sam. It's a religious holiday. You should only take secular holidays off. <laughs> um, you know, as as what Jews, Sam Last and I, we've got Hanukkah starting tomorrow night, and we're not taking that off. But um, you know. I guess what you're saying is we'll be recording chit chat on Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's part of our war on Christmas agenda. All right. Have a good one. Thanks, Chip.